It's been a great ride through the book of Hebrews, and here we are in the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Who can, what can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So we're coming to a close to, in our, not today, but soon, the book of Hebrews, a text. Um, I remember doing a course in Hebrews years ago with Mario Deganji. Mario Deganji was the minister at Knox Presbyterian Church downtown. And he was, he was a, uh, an Italian-Canadian and had a lot of uh, prestigious jobs and places of ministry in his years. And I decided to take a course on Hebrews and just do a, a solo course. So you, you just sit in with the, the prof in their office and you go through the text. And I found it a little bit daunting going into Mario's, the Ganges office and we would chat about Hebrews. Um, Mara Deganji was also the minister at Knox uh, Presbyterian Church, which Beth and I went to for a little bit. So anyway, that's my, my history with the book of Hebrews. <laughs> the Lord is my helper. So here are some windows. These are known as the Chagall uh, windows. Chagall was a great artist, uh, turn of the century, of the 19th century. And there's a hospital in Jerusalem, which I had the chance to visit, and there's a chapel in this hospital, the Ankadesh Hospital. And it's a rotunda, not that big, maybe about the size of our lobby, but it's, it's round. And there are 12 windows in the top, there they are, and each, each of the windows are a different color, a different hue, slightly. And so the light comes through all 12 windows. And it's based on the text in Genesis of uh, Jacob's sons, 12 sons, and he gives to each son a blessing in terms of inheriting part of the land, of the promised land. And so 12 sons, 12 blessings, 
And each, each part of the inheritance focuses on different themes. And that's, these windows describe the themes of each uh, child, each son. So that's, that's the, the idea that's going on. And a different hue presents the main theme. So let's say, if it's, for example, if it's mercy, then Chagall tried to portray that in a different color. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty beautiful, actually. It's, it's wonderful to see. And, and why I think about that is because our faith, as we come to a close in the book of Hebrews, there are a variety of admonitions that happen here, or principles, directives for our life. How to, how to, how to live your best self. How to become your true self is what the writer is saying. So we, we might use that kind of language today. The writer of Hebrews, maybe Priscilla, was using her own language. So what are the contours of life in the unshakable kingdom, which is how the writer of Hebrews talks about the kingdom of God. It is unshakable. Our earth shakes all the time. We have this little place down in the county, Prince Edward County, and, and, and it was interesting, there was an earthquake down there a few weeks ago. It wasn't big, but it was in the high fours, and, and people in Picton, their, their, their places were shaking. So it can happen anywhere. It could happen here in the city of Toronto. In fact, I remember one, uh, maybe you remember it, back in the 80s, I was at Royal York Baptist Church at that time, and I was in my office, and I was looking out the window, and all of a sudden my chair dipped right down. It dipped about a foot. And I looked out the window, and you could see the rolling terrain of the earthquake. It was just, boom, looked out. You could see it just going out across the field. There was a field there. So earthquakes can happen any time. A shakable kingdom, but God's kingdom is unshakable, so the writer writes in the book of Hebrews. And so what I'm suggesting here is... In, Chapter 13, 1 to 8, we have some basic principles or contours that lead us in our life, just as there are different hues in the windows of Chagall. And the first one is this principle of charity or love. Very simple statement. Let mutual love continue. Principle. Writing to the church. Let the relationships within the church be that of love. The word for continue there is the word meno, which John translates as abide, remain. So in John 15, when Jesus says, abide in me, the Father, I abide in the Father, that's the word continue, the word remain. Let mutual love remain. Let mutual love abide within us here at Weston Park Baptist Church. And the particular word that is used is the word we know, Philadelphia. So the word love there is not the word agape. The word is philo, Philadelphia, literally love for your brother, love for your sister. That's Philadelphia. And it's an in-house word here, meaning it's within the church community. We are to be characterized by a mutual love, particularly for brothers and sisters in the faith, because it's a fraternal love. We are to love each other in the faith. 
So we have a love, right? We have a love for our families. We have a love for our friends. We have a love for our children. We have that kind of love. But Philadelphia is reminding us of a particular love for your brothers and sisters in the faith. It's a Christian love. So we're called to love everybody, for sure. Everybody in the whole world. We are called to love. We're respectful. Love. But Philadelphia is about loving our brothers and sisters in the faith in a particular way. So that reminds us of our relationships right here. You know, how are your dynamics within the church, within the body of faith? That's what Philadelphia is about, and that's what the writer is saying. Let mutual love continue, specifically in-house kind of language. Love as an action. We've already seen that in Hebrews 10.24. Note, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. So when we come to chapter 13, verse 1, remain, mutual love remain, we've already heard it a little bit. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Not provoke one another to irritate one another. That's not the point. But encourage one another, some of the texts translated. Encourage one another to love and good deeds. So how do we encourage people to love and good deeds? Generally, it's, it's through a positive statement. You encourage them. You lift them up. You compliment them in some way. You, you say, hey, good job. You, you do what you do. Thank you. That's how you motivate people to good deeds. Typically, it's not by telling them you're a loser. You keep doing crazy things. That's not probably going to work too much as a motivation, right? To make them angry. Make them uptight. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Mutual love. Griffith Thomas, who was a minister at Knox years ago, he says this. I think it's like, nice. This feature of love to our fellow, to our fellow Christians, note, simply because they are Christians, that's the key, is a prominent feature of New Testament religion. And it almost seems as though the very word for this brother love, which is so familiar to us as Philadelphia, was coined as the result of this Christian attitude. The word Philadelphia probably did not exist before the church because it means brother love, brother sister. Probably came out of the church. So the city of Philadelphia in the United States, well, that came out of this term. Let this be, imagine that, that's a pretty big statement, eh? Let this city be a city of brotherly and sisterly love. Wow, if we could pull that off, it would be amazing. So let mutual love continue. That's the first principle, and it's an in-house statement. So we need to be mindful, mindful of our relationships within the church. I mean, all relationships, but particularly, that's what this word is going at. It's easy, right, to get uptight with somebody and, you know, and we just kind of 
get angry, and that's sort of what the dynamic is. We're trying to work at bringing this. It can be difficult, it can be challenging for sure. Often there's no easy answers, but nevertheless, that's what we're called to. Let mutual love continue. The church going forward, we want to grow as a church. Well, one of the best ways to grow as a church if we are, is we are loving. People come in and they sense a dynamic of love. That, that's attractive. We sense a spirit of division, well then that, that's not going to help us, right? So the writer knows that. Let mutual love continue. Secondly, hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Interesting, hospitality is again phila and stranger, phila xenia. So it's the word phila keeps going through the text here. So we are to have mutual love, but now we are called to love the stranger. Love the one who's new. Love the outsider. In the, in the Far East, the Middle East, hospitality is a, is a great value, right? It, no matter what tradition they're in. Again, in Jerusalem, you go into one of the shops, and it may be an Arab shop, they will want you to have tea with them. They'll, they'll invite you to tea right away as soon as you come in. They, want, they don't want you to just come in, buy something, and go. Please, have tea with me. And then they have tea. And then, then they strike it up and you buy out of that dynamic. Hospitality. So the Christian church is to be a church that's hospitable. Welcoming to the stranger. Here in Weston, we have an amazing opportunity for hospitality. Because we have so many people coming from all over the world and they land here. Canada, the, the, the goal is, as you know, is to grow by a million people per year for the next bunch of years. A million people new year, every year, newcomers to Canada. A million. When you only got a population of 35, 37 million, a million's a lot. And you know where a lot of them come is they come to the cities. They come to Toronto, go to Vancouver, they go to Montreal. That, that's where most people are going. You land there. And so Toronto regularly receives a lot of people who are, who are wanting to be welcomed. You know, who, who, can you make it a bit easier for them to come and be receptive to them, kind to them? So that's the theme, hospitality, philozenia, in your buildings that you live in. Maybe new people come in. How receptive are we? I remember, man, when my dad was living in the, the home towards the end of his life, just here on Eglinton Avenue, a relatively nice place. And my dad's health was, was failing. And after a while, he couldn't hear, and he couldn't speak clearly anymore because the cancer had affected his... his um, Larynx, just this whole voice box. And so my dad, it was hard to understand, so he just started closing up. Started just re receding. Because if I speak, people won't understand me. He felt a little embarrassed by all that. 
And I remember, this is my point of my story, going to pick him up one day, and a guy, another gentleman who lives in the place, he says, I, he didn't know my dynamic with this man. That he just said, you know, this, this man is a little like this. He, said, he goes like this. He's a little, he's a little loopy. <laughs> my dad was not loopy. The cancer did not affect his mind. It affected his voice. But because he couldn't speak clearly, the guy thought, he's a little loopy. And I said, hey man, he is not loopy. It's affected, the cancer's affected his voice box. That's what's going on here. Not very welcoming, huh? Not very loving. Not very kind. So a lot of people in the city, right? They're not all very nice. <laughs> we are called to be nice. Hospitality. Can we be welcoming? Can we be receptive? That's a value, a principle that the writer is saying. Thirdly, solidarity. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Those are pretty strong words. Remember. Remember those who are in prison, those who are having hard times. Natalie might, uh, just finished writing a book. Very good for her. She wrote a book. And the book is based on her time when she worked in the detention center downtown for the kids who something had gone wrong and they were now, quote, in jail. That's where they were. And so she was a teacher in the jail. And she tried her best to come alongside those people and to encourage these young people. She was young herself. And they, they just kind of, you try to develop a caring relationship. I care for you, but she needed as much care back. And you know what? The students actually were pretty good at that. She cared and they cared. To be in solidarity with those who are hurting. So how can we be in solidarity with those who are hurting? How can we have compassion? God is a God of compassion. What about our compassion? What about our mercy? How kind are we? So we all need to reflect on those words. Remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. That's pretty strong solidarity, right? Can we do that? Can we at least think about doing that? Can we move in that direction even in tiny ways? Solidarity, that's what the writer's saying. Remember them. Because remember, in the first century, what it, Christians weren't, it was an illegal religion. And if the governors and so on wanted to get tough on, they can just throw you in prison. Throw you in prison and forget you. In Bolivia, it's still like that. They throw you in prison. <laughs> they don't want to let you out. Forget it. The former president of the country who was a woman, which was very unusual, there was a change of government, and then what did the new party do? They threw her in prison. The former president of the country of Bolivia is now in prison in La Paz. She may never get out. Maybe if there's a change in government. But other than that, forget it. It's just spite. You're there. That's what you get for not lining up with us. 
So solidarity with those who are hurting, number three. Number four, well, here's, listen. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You know, it wasn't easy to be a Christian then. So will we stand for our faith, be in solidarity with others? Fidelity, and there's two types of fidelity here. One is fidelity in marriage. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. So that's pretty strong language. The Greco-Roman world was a licentious community. That just was the nature of the beast. And Christians are coming out of that dynamic. And the writer is saying, okay, Fidelity, be faithful in this area. Your trust, your commitment. Let marriage be held in honor by all. Makes sense. But it's also fidelity and attitude to money and possessions. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We'll get to that in a bit. Fidelity in our relationships and fidelity in how we live. Keep your lives free is one word, word, tropos, which is just your manner of life, your conduct. Keep your life, that's that one word, in all that there is, your whole life. Keep your life in a way that pleases to God, your manner of living. And part of that is to be free from the love of money. And what's interesting here is it's the philo word again. But it's an aphila. Don't love money. Don't go after it that same way. Aphila. So we have Philadelphia, we have Philizenia, and now we have the opposite. Aphil, do not love money. We all need money for sure. But the idea is do not form an attachment to it. Because it's not ultimately what, what's the most important thing. When we die, we know we can't take any money with us. We can't take any possessions with us. So the writer is saying, remember and note and be content with what you have. So there are the three things there. Keep your lives, your manner of living, tropos, free from the love of money, ah, phila argus, and then be content. Be content with what you have. If you have a lot of money, what happens often is you are anxious, anxiety, because you're afraid you're going to lose it. If you have less money, then maybe we can be content. So that's what the writer is saying. Early Christians didn't have a lot of money. People weren't, the rich people weren't going to church because the rich people figured they can figure it out themselves. So they didn't, a lot, they didn't get a lot of those folks. Just, Ordinary folk, that's who's coming. And wife, because I will never leave you or forsake you. So, fidelity. Trusting God, depending on God, and the last one is for security. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can one do to me? 
two texts here from the Old Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you, which really reads, in no way will I leave you or forsake you. In no way will that happen. God is saying to you and to me, it's a promise, no way, I will never leave you or forsake you. The whole world might shake, but I will not leave you or forsake you. And secondly, why? Because the Lord is my helper. He's your helper. What happens then? I will not be afraid. If we know that God is our helper, we do not have to live in fear. Our whole world lives in fear. But if we know that the Lord is our helper, because what? What can anyone do to me? Well, they may kill me. They may kill you. True. But that's not the end of you. That's not the end of me. So the writer knows, ultimately, they don't have control over you. They might kill you, but that's not the end. People under the Nero Empire, they, they knew that. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can they really finally do to me? Well, they may feed you to the lions. They might burn you at the stake. They can do that. But that's not the end. And the, the, the first century of the early church was a century of martyrs. Thousands and thousands of martyrs. I can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Though I will never leave you, not forsake you. I will, I will be your helper. All of that is about what? It is about... God being our security. And then they have this statement. You can read it. It ends with, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That verse really sums up the entire book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know that verse, right? You've heard that verse. Maybe you've memorized that verse. Sunday school, that's a good Bible verse to remember. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That means we have security in Jesus. He is the same. The world might shake, but he is unshakable. And Jesus is our ultimate security. That's what the writer is saying. Security for you, security for me. He will never leave us or forsake us. The Lord is my helper. I mean, aren't all those great verses? In your prayer time, he will never leave me or forsake me. You can repeat that one. The Lord is my helper. What do I need to fear? Another good one. Thirdly, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Those are three beautiful statements. You could just repeat those. Let those bathe over you. Pentecostal tradition, they talk about bathing in the Spirit. I like that. You just sit and you bathe. So the worship just flows over you. Or the Scriptures flow over you. Why not? The Lord is my helper. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. All the way through your life. When you were a little kid, middle-aged, in the very end, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, that's our foundation. So we review just briefly charity, hospitality, solidarity, fidelity, 
and security. Five pillars, five values that the writer is saying these are key as we go forward. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and let these principles be the principles for your life, my life. We need to hear them. We need to be reminded of them because we get, what are we hearing? We're hearing the world's messages all the time. Netflix, man, you zoom in on some program and it goes for three or four seasons. And you're hearing those values for three or four seasons. That's a lot of episodes, whatever it might be. We need to hear what the scriptures are teaching us. Charity, love, hospitality, receiving the, the newcomer, solidarity with those who are hurting, fidelity, faithfulness, and security. God holds us. He is our refuge. I end with this statement, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. John Henry Cardinal Newman. Downtown on U of T premises, there's the Newman Center. And you can go in there anytime and just sit in quiet and be reminded what? One step enough for me, one step enough for you. We don't see the whole picture. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever. Keep walking with him. In Jesus' name, amen.